0: Happy Juneteenth. Now, I lived in Texas for about um, almost 20 years. And it's very interesting to see the rest of the country right now, kind of um, at least the, the, the white rest of the country, trying to figure out Juneteenth. I'm happy it's a national holiday. Finally, and um, in Texas, and I'm, I'm thinking of Ian and Katrina and others who've lived there. This is not a um, this is not an unknown. This is not quite as an unknown a holiday. I imagine that's true throughout the South, but Texas, where it started, it's um, it's a big deal. And on Juneteenth, just to give a flavor, on Juneteenth, if you go to the park. I remember it was so full of people and, um, and celebration and always the smell of barbecue and um, humidity. But um, there is, it really is a day of not just celebrating freedom, but Often listening to elders in the community talk, um, people inside groups talking about what's necessary to organize the community, um, and family, and recognition, and honoring, and respect, and the joy of that, and the solemnity of that in the same. And so, um, as this is being tried on by the nation, I want to say my peace in encouraging all of us to take this holiday extremely seriously in a loving, joyful, celebratory way, but also not as some side holiday. Now that this is a national holiday, it's hopefully it will be a holiday day. It will be a recognition that will be at the center of our hearts. If we are going to be a people that um, even pretend, lean toward, intend freedom for all people, then we have to recognize when we don't allow it and when struggles bring that freedom about. So um, with that said, happy again, happy Juneteenth. And gratitude and respect for our ancestors who did the work of making a freer land so that we could all have greater dignity and respect because the ones who are the doers of the violence their dignity and respect is in even worse shape than the ones receiving it. So, so their freedom is for the freedom of us all. So to talk more about intention, this is an intention. <clears throat> Yesterday we talked about um, I talked about and we had a conversation about intention in the relative sense intention in terms of the relationship of view and intention and our actions and how that cycles back karmically to keep creating our mind and creating the same views over and over and how, when we engage our intentions and not only have wholesome intentions but have wholesome intentions that we're not grasping the outcome so that our wholesome intentions are not building a self that they're in some ways, this is a tough word, but it's what's coming. They're purely wholesome. Um, That they really are for the activity that is being carried out in that moment and not for the one who's carrying out the activity. And when the intention is coming out of the activity, out of the wholesome activity directly and not self grasping and not making a self that's good or whatever it is that we're doing, then that activity is for the benefit of all beings. It is actually benefiting all beings. So we talked, in, in some ways, we have to, from a, from a perspective of being, from the standpoint of being a, a separate self, a self who's working on themselves. There is a, um, a need to think kind of causally. There's a view that brings about an intention, that brings about actions. It gives us moments to look at. We can look at our intentions. We can shift our intentions. We can look at our views and see what they're doing. Um, we can involve ourselves in how those things come about. From the perspective of not, no self, it's not really quite causal. Kind of all comes up together. But it's hard to understand how to engage something morally when the whole world comes up together. And Dogen talks about the world He talks about everything arising together. He says, don't think of spring becoming the summer. He said, don't think of time like wind, where it goes from one place to another place, or a river that goes from one place to another place, but understand it like spring, where everything is coming up together at once. That's time, that's being, that's what it is to, that's how life is actually operating. We're not moving from one place to another. We don't have a self that's moving from one place to another. We don't have karma that's moving one place to another from that perspective. And so how do we understand intentionality from that place? And I think it's useful because I think it informs the other place in important ways. So if we look at, the, if we look at what it is to intend something... I intend to do something. I'm going to use an example. Kaishin, I was speaking with Kaishin yesterday, and Kaishin asked, what's about Buddha nature with all this, with what I was talking about yesterday? And at that moment, I watched in the question, the intention to respond come up. Prior to that moment, I did not have the intention to respond to that question. That intention didn't exist. It was in the question that the intention arose. So the intention arose over there. Didn't arise here. Rose over there. How we like to think of ourselves as linear people is somebody says something and then I have the intention to respond to it. But that's not actually, if we watch closely, that's not what really the experience is. The experience is the intention is arising with the activity that's happening. Right the intention is happening in the world, so when we talk about the relationship between view, intention, and action from not gathering everything around a self, we have a different experience. We have an experience that there is a view that is here sometimes that I'm in the role of a Dharma teacher who wants to clarify um, questions around the Dharma. That's a view that's there sometimes. It's not there all the time. It's not there when I'm talking to my mechanic. That view is not present. It would get in the way. Um, So there's that view, and that view is a possibility for me. And then a question comes up. And the relationship between that view and that question from the other person, what pulls them together, what makes them coherent is the arising of the intentionality that connects those two things together. Right? There's an intention that arises that connects that question to that view. It comes out of it. It doesn't, it's not something, I'm not walking around. I would be a really annoying person if I was walking around holding on to the intention to answer Dharma questions all the time. And I just walked into a room and that was my intention. So I'm just looking for Dharma questions to answer. It would annoy my mechanic. Um, so, So that's not what we're doing, even though that's kind of what we think we're doing. I have an intention, and I'm going to hold on to this intention. I'm going to make this intention really serious. That's what we kind of think we're doing. But if we were doing that, we'd be very unversatile as a human being, if that's what we were. So there is this, just happened, birdsong. Intention to listen to the bird song rose with the bird song. So there isn't a being that is intending. There are lots of views arising in a being. Lots of views meaning not just like, not thoughts, okay? Views, the way it's used, ditti, the way view is used in, in right view is not... Um, thought because thought is an activity so when we say view intention activity we have to think of thought as an activity thought is an expression of a view we have to think view more in terms of like standpoint or orientation these are orientations we have in the world so sometimes it's translated as like right philosophy or right perspective or right, you know, spiritual belief or whatever. So there, it's bigger than just having a thought that's a view. It's like the view of the self. That's, you know, we're not walking around thinking about the self all the time. It's an orientation. We're not walking around thinking about the way we're gendered all the time, but it's an orientation. Right, So there are these ways, there are these deeper views that are orientations. We're not thinking about the way we're racialized necessarily, some more than others, but it's an orientation. And each orientation is full of complex other orientations, right? But there are all of these things that are happening that are an orientation. And those orientations, those views, mean that. When something happens in the world, a particular view arises with it, and there's an intentional relationship between those two things. It is the intentional relationship that connects them. If there were not, you wouldn't pay attention to it. It wouldn't even register as a thing in the world. Our world is a world of intentionality. And by world, I don't mean the earth. And I mean one's experiential world arises out of intention. What I I mean is, when we're walking down a street, we're each having a different world. Why are we each having a different world? We're each having a different world. We're each experiencing a different world because the habit patterns of what matters to us based on experience and layers and layers and layers of intentions that come out of that experience means that what is arising in our view is different from the person next to us. We are not experiencing the same world. We're not living in the same world. The world that is arising from me is a different world. And it is is intentionality in this way of thinking about the way we intend toward a world and the world and and the phenomena of our experience intend back toward us. Some people, trees are really meaningful when they walk down the street. They're defining their existence as they move down the street. They're actually defining who they are. For some people, they don't even notice they're there. That's not the same world. Okay. so For some people, skin color is a, is, is, makes a huge difference in what and what that means for them as they're walking down the street. For some people, gender does. For some people, it doesn't. They're not conscious of it. It's not a thing they're paying attention to. And it's because of all history that results in intentional relationships with people. This is karma writ large, right? This is what it is to have a karmic mind in a karmic world. We're not just, it's not just the intention we're conscious of. Karma is not just the intention we're conscious of. Karma is the intentional relationship of everything that makes up our world. So when we're looking at our karma and we're looking at intentionality, we're not just looking at the things that we think we're conscious of. We're looking at the whole world. What is the world we live in? And how are its contours defined by my habits? So if we have, um, to kind of switch to psychological language, if we have suffered particular developmental traumas, whether those developmental traumas are because of family, because of society, because of whatever level they're happening at, and those get layered into us. Those, we, what came out of that, okay, so say I'm in a violent situation, what's going to come out of that is an intention to survive. Um, violence at all kinds of levels, emotional violence, physical violence, slights, all kinds of levels. Um, There's going to be an intention that comes out of that to survive. It's going to arise with the action. And we're going to adapt. What's going to happen is when that arises, a view is going to arise with it. Now there will either be a view that already exists that will arise with it, or there's, there will be a forming view that will arise with it, right? Which is the world is dangerous. Maybe that's the view that arises with it. The world is a terribly dangerous place and people can't be trusted. So now that becomes, or, or I'm at risk of dying or whatever that is. And that orientation, that becomes a view. That becomes an orientation. Now, if we don't grasp that view, it'll arise in the situation where it's appropriate, right? There'll be an activity that's dangerous and the view that something's dangerous will arise with it. But if we grasp that view as a self, if it isn't something that just arises with an intentional connection to a real truly dangerous situation, something that is threatening to us, but we grasp it as a self, then something very different begins to happen. What begins to happen at that point is that view worlds the world. It creates the world of danger. And our intentionality gets tied to it. It gets locked onto it. And suddenly we start intending a world in alignment with that view. Everything is painted the color, you know, to, you know like, like Pink Panther, everything's painted pink we dissolve into the pink painted world that we have made for ourselves. Now, it's not to say that certain things that happen aren't in alignment with that view, aren't actually happening. It's not saying that at all. It's not that we're just fantasizing. But what it is saying is that, in some cases we are fantasizing, but what it is saying is that if my intention is grasped and tied onto a view, a deep orientation like that. The world will be that world. We will be looking through it. When we walk down the street, what we will see is that and that alone. And that will be the only world there is. And so we might call this, you know, one way of talking about this is we might call that I mean, the way people use trauma, this might be a way of talking about what a trauma is, but in a very real way, the self is a trauma, right? When, when, there is, when we grasp the views that we needed to... I mean, not all of us had childhoods that they would consider we had to survive or whatever, but or worlds, but I'm just saying, if that were the case... And we grasp those things or whatever things we were told we were, were, we were as children, we grasp those things. We create separation from all other possibilities. We kill off the possibility of other intentional ways of, 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 of connecting to the world. And we shape and contour a world around those views that only allow for intentions that are in connection to those views. We're pulled completely back into the relative without any sense of the absolute where everything is free to to arise and fall away. So to give give one more example um, about um, how this kind of happens in a really, in case it's confusing, um, how this happens in a very concrete way. Most of us are not, I don't think, we are carrying the intention not to touch fire when we're born right children are notorious for reaching toward flames and um flames are dazzling right so there's a curiosity life is curious about itself so life being curious about itself a child reaches toward a flame without any notion of an intention not to touch that flame And when that flame is either, one of two things happens, usually. Either the flame is touched or a shout comes from a guardian that says, don't touch the flame. Something happens where the intention to not touch that flame arises in that moment. Flame burns. Now there's an intention not to touch the flame. That then gets put in. That becomes a view. Don't touch fire. It's very useful view. It's not usually a view we grab onto as a self and walk around orienting our entire lives. Usually that's a view that is free to come up only when there's fire. We're often not obsessing on touching fire, that would be a phobia. So that freedom for views to arise with their natural habitats, freely, fine. Once we grab onto and orient ourselves, not as fine. So this thing this thing about intentionality Dogen actually talks about this in his very poetic difficult to discern way but he does talk about it directly. So I want to just mention something. He talks about this in Zenki. He says birth and by birth he means everything arising. So not not just when we're born, but the birth of it, the birth of the world in every moment. Birth is just like riding in a boat. You raise the sails and you steer. Although you maneuver the sail and the pole, the boat gives you a ride. And without the boat, you couldn't ride. So we're living life. Life is the boat, right? We're in the boat and the boat's giving us a ride. But there is an intentionality involved in that life, right? We are maneuvering the sail and the pole. The boat's giving us a ride, and we're maneuvering the sail and pole. Both of those things are happening together. So there's an interaction between experience and our intentionality around that experience. But you ride in the boat, and this is the really important line, and your riding makes the boat what it is. Our riding in the boat is what makes the boat a boat. It is not a boat without our riding into it, in it, right? So our being in the world and our karmic orientations and everything that's happening is what makes the world around us what it is. There is not some, no human has an experience of the raw world the way it is this is what causes all the problems right everyone thinks they have access to the raw world and they know the truths about it and they're right but we only have access to our world now that doesn't make our world wrong or deluded or whatever it makes it our world it makes it the world that i know and so human moral interaction is not a competition of truths That's the mistake we're making at the national level right now all over the place, right? It is not a competition of truths. There are no truths out there that are the true world. It is a conversation of perspectives. If we live in a world where it's a competition of truths, we are doomed. End of story, doomed, because everybody is going to assert their world as the true one because everyone's grasping their world as the true world, not as a world that's arising out of intentionality and being born of relationship. No, it's just the truth. And so now I'm going to assert my world onto other people's worlds. But what Mahayana tells us in the cosmology, right, is there infinite worlds full of infinite buddhas and every flower petal has infinite buddhas in the flower petal and in the center of the flower the, in other words there are universes upon universes upon universes upon universes and that is what we are right? we're not one universe that somebody has access to so we are all karmic minds this is why um, dogen says you know, that Buddhas are those who are clear about delusion. Buddhas are those who are clear about karmic minds, who understand that there are karmic minds and that there are minds arising out of this intentional relationship that creates worlds. Dogen, there are a few cases where Dogen uses world as a verb, which I have come to completely love, because I actually can't think of any better way to say it which is we world that's what we do we world the world and so we're always worlding we're always worlding so but you ride in the boat and your riding makes the boat what it is per per normal dogon investigate a moment such as this right At just such a moment, there is nothing but the world of the boat. The sky, the water, and the shore are all the boat's world, which is not the same as a world that is not the boat's. Thus you make birth what it is, and you make birth your birth. So he's really clear about this once you kind of pull back the metaphorical piece of it. But he's very direct, and he's saying, you know, this is not only does my riding in the boat make the boat a boat, but once the boat's a boat, then the whole world is the boat's world. The water is no longer just water. The water supports the boat, right? The wind is not just wind. The wind blows a sail. The world becomes the boat's world. So the intention to ride in a boat and make a boat work makes the world the boat's world. And this is what, you know, this is why there's a danger of ever separating out. He, he, is, he is very adamant about all of the mistaken notions of enlightenment, one of which is that we can separate out some pure, aware mind that is just kind of looking, that is free from a world somehow. Dogen's like, no, that's not at all what's going on. What it is is to recognize that we are intentionally enmeshed as a world. So what's this mean for our practice? We are always looking at ourselves. In every situation, we are looking at ourselves. It is not that there's not a uh, an actual world. This is not. Something, but we are always, the contours of the world we're looking at, the way it's shaped, the way we understand its relationships, etc., are always our intentionality. Doesn't mean we're wrong or right. Just because they're ours don't mean, doesn't mean we're wrong. But it does mean it's ours. And so to talk in a way that, um, one side of a conversation has the truth is a mistake. That if we have, if there's anything we're going to call the truth, it's going to be situational and it's going to be realized through open-hearted, deep conversation and connection that arise at an understanding between two universes. And actually, what's wonderful about that is if that's really done, if that's the way we really come to each other and we're not saying, I know who you are, I have you figured out, because my world's the world, then there will be dignity and there will be respect and there will be love and there will be care. If we fully recognize that this is what we're doing, then we won't make the mistake of overrunning another person with our world and demanding that they align with our intentions and the way we intend the world. Now, that means for us all that we have to really learn to listen we have to really allow ourselves to open up to intentional universes of other people that are not our own that don't make sense to us that organize the world in a different way that when we hear them they seem like another universe right we don't even know why they think the way they think and so we have to spend time with that. And we have to understand what were the layers of experience and intentionality that resulted in the views that created the universe that is this person. And this is why karma is so important, why we can never turn away from it. Because it is through the, um, the word interrogation came up, but that seems too harsh. Um, curiosity <laughs> about karma that um, that lifts the delusion that that karma is a self. It's just karma, not a self. It's not a separate self. The self. I'm going to say one more thing about self because there's this experience. Um, then I think I'll stop. One way of of experiencing this so that it is maybe helpful is if you look at the way we, I don't know if everybody, I'm sure people don't experience it the same way. But if I look at the experience of a separate self, it's almost like there's a fold, right? It's like there is the experience of the world and then there's this fold that is here. And somehow I equate that fold with an inside of the body, which isn't really the inside of the body at all. It's like a, it's like an inside of a mind that we call the inside of the body. It's not, the inside of my body is usually treated like an object when you're not clear, right? You kind of treat your body as an object outside of the fold that is you, right? Oftentimes. And so it's not really the body. It's not really the experience. It's this kind of hazy fold that happens or a whirlpool that, and things get collected there. And, um, but when we really look at it, we realize that the whirlpool is just the water and the fold is really not there at all. It's actually not there. And when it's not there, then it doesn't collect things anymore. It's like a room without corners. The lint, the, the 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 what are those things called? Dust bunnies don't get collected in the corner. There's no corner for the dust bunnies. And so at that, in that, then we really live um, a life without a fold. Means that the intention can arise with the other person. Intentionality can be all over the world. It can be at the horizon line of the mountains. It can be with the birds. It can be everywhere. What I am can be everywhere. It can be like Dogen says, it can be like spring emerging everywhere at once without that fold, kind of collecting and taking credit for it all. And that frees us to live and listen and be with other universes In a way that we don't try to dominate them because we no longer are confused by the fold as the one place, as the center. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.